This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Oh, hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat. It's been a minute, right? Uh, gosh, it seems like the last couple Mondays we've been busy. Uh, a few Mondays ago, there was a national championship game. It sounds like somebody's phone ringing in the uh, production studios right out of the gate. That's how busy it is at Dog Nation. And uh, I'll tell you what, we're excited. I know you're excited. So much momentum for Georgia football. Um so many good things going on for the Bulldogs. And yet, what's going to happen with Georgia football? I've seen this before. You've seen it before. Maybe you didn't see it from inside looking out. You saw it from outside looking in. But when programs win a national championship, the level of scrutiny increases. Unbelievable. So many people start watching closely. Those small stories that are relegated to local headlines or regional headlines becomes national news because now you're Georgia. You're the national champion. You are under the bright lights with a different level of accountability and scrutiny. And this is going to be different. It's going to be different for better and for worse. Georgia does something little. Hey, it's a national story. They're a national champion, right? Uh, Georgia, some good that's small. Well, that's great. They'll get noticed. Bad that's small, that gets noticed too. It all goes with being a big deal. And Georgia football has has been on the, the precipice. Is that the right word? Of being a big deal. It's been a big deal. It's let's Kirby's had what how many top 10 programs in a row? Four. So this is the fifth straight year. Georgia football's been a big deal, but now it is the biggest of the big deals. And so I, I open with that because. I've noticed on social media that a lot of Georgia fans are sensitive. Like, don't criticize anything. We're the champs. No, no, you don't understand. You get criticized even more by people now because you're the champs. And not necessarily me, not necessarily anybody at Dog Nation or or Georgia or anywhere, but outside in the country. Uh, you know, everybody looks at the big program and really, you know, think about Tom Brady. Great example, right? I think the greatest quarterback in the NFL, he's retiring. But every little thing Brady does, scrutinized to the max. Why? Because he's the champ. Nick Saban, everything Saban in Alabama does has been scrutinized to the max. Why? Because Bama was on top. Well, now it's Georgia's turn on top. And the Bulldogs are number one. And people are going to scrutinize and look at this program. They're going to kick the tires and they're going to look and see, you know, oh, they're not so great. And uh, and look, Georgia is like any other program with the things that go on, with the issues that it has, for better, for worse. You know, I, I've done this at five or six different schools. The names, the faces change. Now, I will say, and I have said, that I find Athens, Georgia, to be incredibly special when it comes to college towns. I think it's the best college town in the country. I just, I don't think there's another place like Athens, Georgia, when you marry the campus to the town, to the beautiful stadium, it just has a pure college presence in, in the high, in the highest. And I've seen some great stadium environments, U of M big house. Awesome. Comes to mind. Tuscaloosa, Bryant Denny stadium. Very special. 
Um, I like Neyland Stadium. Some people think it looks like a big erector set, but I like the way it sits on the Tennessee River. I mean, I think about great Nebraska with the big red and, and the people there and Lincoln. They're just unbelievable. It's got to be on your bucket. Baton Rouge with the Spanish Ross and the Spanish Moss and Mike the Titan. There's certain places that are special, and, and Athens is one of those places. I think Georgia football, as I've said, it's always carried itself with so much class and dignity. And I think that has to do with the continuity that Georgia's had among their head coaches. You've had, what, four coaches since 19 – I should know this by heart. Vince Dooley's first year was, what, 1960-61? I should know that. Apologies. Someone out there, you can shout it out. What was Coach Dooley's first year as head coach? Was it 60, 61? But you've had four coaches, right? You've had Dooley, Goff, Don – okay, you've had five. Rick and uh and kirby you've had five coaches in 60 years i i would okay 64 thank you very much steve rogers a little bit later than i thought you've had five coaches in 57 years that's amazing i don't know if there's another program and someone can check this out that's only had five coaches since 1964 is there another program that's only had that's your trivia question i want somebody to look that up for me Five coaches in 67 years. I see someone's mentioning my feed. I apologize. I'm, a, I'm at a hotel in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, Dog Nation is, is invested in covering the Bulldogs in any way, shape, or form we can. We're down here to cover the six Georgia Bulldogs that are here in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, it's an exciting time down here. This is a great opportunity uh, for the Georgia players to feature themselves in front of the, it's a first impression. All the whole NFL's here. It's such, this is such an amazing event. And I, I was born in Mobile and I worked in Mobile from 94 to 98. So I was here four years and um, worked at the Mobile Register. And so I covered the Senior Bowl in and out. And, and then when I covered other schools, I would come here and cover the players here because here's the, the access you get. All the NFL head coaches are here. All the NFL. I see someone's mentioning eight players down here. Adrian, I'll get to that in just a moment and explain why there's only six. Um, but all the NFL coaches are here. Most of the GMs are here. Team presidents, the entire, like you'll see mobs of teams going around like gangs or something. Like eight guys in Cleveland Brown gears. They're all working, to, you know, they're all sitting in the stands together. You know, you'll see guys from different teams that know each other. It's kind of like the NFL unofficial convention, right? They come down to Mobile. They go to these practices starting tomorrow uh, at Hancock-Whitney Stadium. It's a beautiful little stadium on the campus of South Alabama. I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, I'll do some live shot uh, with Feinbaum. I guess at 4.30 they texted me. Um, we'll do a little live shot from there. But it's, it's a beautiful stadium. You can watch the practices on the NFL Network. Uh, and the game is going to be 2.30 on Saturday. But but getting back to the value of it, it's a who's who of NFL. I mean, you will see all the head coaches here. You will see all the scouting. You know, tomorrow night, Herb Street's going to be here. Saban and Brian Harson, Mel Tucker, they're going to speak at a symposium. I mean, this is a big NFL event. And so for the players to come down here, it's their opportunity, you know, to compete with other players from different parts of the country and different schools you know, without the benefit of their teammates or their scheme. Everybody's in a vacuum here. Everybody's on equal footing. How do you do one-on-one -on -one with that, against that guy across from you? 
how do you compare to the player next to you when you're running through drills? So it's a really valuable part of the NFL evaluation system, right? The combine has its role March 1st through 6th. And yes, Dog Nation will be there because they'll probably be 14 Georgia guys. I think 14 is the number. You'll have 14 Georgia guys at the NFL combine. You could set a record this year with 15 guys picked, and I'll cover that ground later. But but the reason the Senior Bowl is such an important part of the process is because teams are here, they're meeting with players, and they're watching practice every day. And the practices are actually more important than the game because, again, you get to watch these guys go one-on-one. Also, the teams are coached by NFL staffs. So they're getting NFL coaching for the first time. Now, one of the cool things I learned is that the way Kirby and Georgia coaches, it's it's another day at the office for Georgia. They're used to a lot of the vocabulary that they're going to hear, a lot of the drill work, the level of intensity, the way they're going to get talked to. Georgia guys are very, very much prepared for this part of the process. They will look very good in this drill work. They will handle themselves very well. Uh, they're not going to get caught off guard. I, I think back a few years ago, and I don't. some of you may remember this. I was down here covering the Senior Bowl, and there was a player from Old Dominion, and his name escapes me now, but he started throwing punches at Jonathan Ledbetter in, during the Senior Bowl practice. And Ledbetter just stood up and just put his hands up and just backed off. And, you know, and I talked to Ledbetter about it, and he's like, man, that there's a time and a place and it ain't on the field. You know, we don't, we don't fight on the field at Georgia. That's not what we do. We don't lose our composure. He handled himself in exemplary fashion. He didn't lose his, his, his mind and get into some brawl in the middle of a senior bowl practice. He was the cool guy that knew how to handle the situation. It didn't reflect as well on the old dominion player who probably was a little bit on edge. I mean, let's face it. You're an old Dominion guy. You're going up against a Georgia guy. There's all these SEC stars around. You're trying to prove yourself. You're on edge and you lose your composure. Okay. Teams are going to judge you on that. I saw a clip recently with Nick Saban and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, Saban has some great philosophy. Um, and he was saying, do you want to be an, a, a, a butt guy or an and guy? Right. And he was saying, you know, he, you know, he's got a good 40 time. He plays really hard. Uh, he's got good talent, but he's late for meetings. And, uh, you know, there was a time he came up missed. Or do you want to be an and guy? He runs really fast. He plays hard. He high points the ball. And he's one of the team captains. And he's a community figure. So are you a butt guy or an and guy? And the point Saban was making is that he said NFL teams are looking for reasons not to draft you. Okay. It's different. You know, it's like different than when you're being recruiting a guy, you're looking for reasons to recruit them, right? You're not looking for reasons not to recruit him. You're looking for reason to bring him in and then you coach him up in the NFL. You know, there's so few positions open. I mean, think about it. You go into the NFL to make it, that means somebody's got to go out. There's only so many roster spots. Now, during the COVID era, they added a few spots to the practice squads. But for you to go in, somebody else has got to go out. That's competitive. I mean, now in college football, guys rotate out. So you sign 25 and certain guys move on to the NFL or graduate. Certain guys get injured or transfer. You know, so But the NFL, for you to make it in, 
you got to push somebody out. And those somebodies don't want to get pushed out. They want to keep their job, right? That's why NFL stands for not for long league, right? The average lifespan or playing career of an NFL player, what is it, four years? Okay, because it is really hard to, to, to keep your job in the NFL. So little things add up. And, and so the Senior Bowl is an important event because it's a player's opportunity uh, you know, to showcase himself amongst other NFL-bound seniors. All these guys here, I think 90% of them typically get NFL combine invites. There are first-round picks here, right? Justin Abert, Herbert was here two years ago. He's the MVP. Last year, Trey McKitty came here. You guys saw Trey McKitty last year. Jordy didn't do anything. He comes here. He leaves here a third-round draft pick. Mark Webb was a guy I didn't think would get drafted. I, I, I hate to admit that. Mark didn't start half the games, him and Tyreek Stevenson. Mark Webb comes down here, has a great week. He gets drafted. Mark Webb's in the NFL. This is this is a, an important event in that sense. So, um, so getting around to the news, if you will, and it's not it's not end of the world news. Okay, I, I, I want to keep that in perspective. That you know, at the end of the day, no nobody's losing their job, nobody's getting fired, nobody's career's over. But James Cook pulled out of the event. Typically, guys don't do that unless there's an injury. Quay Walker has an injury. Okay, so Quay's not here because of an injury. James pulled out without reason. Now, the reason it was surprising was because so many people are so excited about James Cook. You know, you, you all saw what he did. He had the 67-yard run against Alabama. I don't think Bama had given up a run longer than 37 yards or 35 yards all year. You saw him have 144 total yards in the Orange Bowl. Personally, I would have given James Cook the MVP for one of those games. No knock against Stetson, but I thought James Cook with his 144, you could have made a case at the Orange Bowl. You could have made it. But my point is, you know, he was a team captain. He committed himself in the weight room like never before. He earned a lot of praise from Kirby Smart, and the arrow is pointing up on James Cook, no doubt about it. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, I can't tell you, well, you know, he didn't show up. And so everybody's going to look, maybe it won't have any effect at all, because if teams like him, they like him and they might be willing to go, well, you know, that they're, you know, maybe, you know, they talked to him and he just didn't want to come or what, whatever. You like a guy enough, you're going to draft him. Right. Um, so but it, 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 it wasn't a good thing. OK, it was just a surprise. It was a surprise and, and a shock to some because. So many people were eager to see James. That's a compliment to him, right? If you don't show up and nobody notices, you're probably not very important, okay? But he's a big deal now. And it, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the show tonight. You know, you're a national champion. You're, you know, I know that, you know, that he was marketed. And there's a lot of NFL stories. You know, you can look up Google James Cook and Senior Bowl and you'll see his name associated with 10 teams. Oh, you know, he's a guy that this team's looking for. He's a guy. Well, who doesn't want a guy like James Cook? I mean, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can line up in the slot. He showed me he could run between the tackles. I kind of called him out on that. Said, I don't know if this guy can run between the tackles. He ran between the tackles. I said, all right, James, you got me. You know, he did. He showed me and and uh, showed a lot of people, a lot of speed, uh, a lot of ability there. Uh, a guy that came a long way. Uh, from being that shy guy. I wrote a lot about him his whole career. I was one of the first ones on the James Cook bandwagon. Some of you probably remember that. I've been jumping up and down, wanting Georgia and Kirby Smart to find a way to get James Cook the ball all four years. You know, uh, Facebook friends with his mom and everything. 
great family. Um, he's headed for big things. Um, my sense of it, and, and I don't want to spend any more really any more time talking about it. I think this is an agent thing. I don't think this is a James thing. And I'll just leave it at that, that sometimes agents do things and players, you know. So uh, Quay's injury was a bit of a surprise. Uh, I hope Quay gets better in time to show well at the Combine. I'm a big Quay Walker fan when it comes to his abilities. I loved how much improvement I saw from Quay from his junior year to his senior year. There were times his junior year, and I called him out for it uh, in the Peach Bowl when he didn't fill the gap on Ford. Remember when Cincinnati had that big run at the start of second? That was Quay, I felt like. And I said, that wouldn't have happened if that was Monty. And, and I just felt like last year as a junior, Quay was kind of always a half a step behind. I like how big and strong he is, but I just felt like he was always a half a step behind last year. Now, this past season, uh, Quay was all over it. I mean, he is the ultimate big, strong, physical. You ain't running between the tackles. He was, you know, he had gap integrity this year. I didn't see the breakdowns. Incredible in the open field, open field tackler, reliable. Uh, just Quay really found the edge. And I like Quay a little bit higher than Tyndale. Now, I think him and Channing are two different guys, and Channing Tyndale is down here. Um, it would have been interesting to see Quay and Channing side by side, but Channing is a little bit smaller than Quay. And I'm going to get into the heights and weights from today, the official heights and weights from today. Channing's faster. The, the, the line of pursuit is unbelievable. So I guess it just kind of depends on what team and and how they use their backers. But I, I like Quay as a prototypical uh, inside linebacker. And nowadays they spread the field out more, but I still, I was just so impressed with Quay in the open field and the way he just brought guys down. So I hate that he's not here with the injury. Now the guys that are here, let's talk about them uh, for a minute. And then we're going to talk more about uh, Stetson Bennett, his uh, parade back home. I thought he had some interesting comments. We'll talk a little JT Daniels. I'll give you guys some scoop. Haven't even written the story yet. I'll probably, you know, I was, I actually have it written, but I didn't post it today because uh, Jeff Centel and Connor Riley had so many good stories. And, you know, we, we don't want to give you 30 stories in one day and two the next. So I said, you know what, I can hold the JT story, um, but I'll share some stuff with you guys on JT tonight um, and uh, take your questions as well. So going down the list of the other guys, and I wrote down these heights and weights, and I don't have the Georgia roster in front of me. Uh, to compare what Georgia measured these guys at. I'll probably, I'll run these on Dog Nation. I'm going to pull some comps of some past Georgia players so you can kind of compare and see how big these guys are um, compared to past Georgia players. So Justin Schaefer came in uh, pretty big today. Uh, 6'3", 6'3 and a half, 326 pounds. That's big. Big hands, 10 and 3 eighths. They like those guys with the big hands. Because they grab those, you know, they grab the front of those jerseys when they're pat. Big hands, 81-inch uh, wingspan. Uh, that's good arm length. Um, good measurables for Justin Schaefer. Really good measurables. And, and I remember uh, Jim Nagy, the senior bowl, telling me a couple months ago that NFL teams are higher on Justin Schaefer than they were on Solomon Kinley two years ago. Well, that surprised me because because I really like Solomon a lot. I loved how athletic he was. Uh, I like his size and his ability to move, but they, they, he tells me in, in what uh, I'm trying to think Solomon, I think went in the fourth round. So could Schaefer be a third or fourth rounder? Yes. 
Uh, Jamari Salyer comes in today, 6'2 and a half, 320, so an inch shorter, five pounds lighter, hand about an inch smaller, nine and four eighths, uh, 34 inch arm, a little bit longer, and an 80 inch wingspan, a little bit shorter than Schaefer. Of course, we all know that Jamari was a team captain. He's got some intangibles. He can play any position on the offensive line. I think Jamari is a solid second round draft pick. Um, you know, how he does here is going to be important. Uh, just as how he does at the NFL Combine is going to be important. Uh, Devontae Wyatt is here. Devontae is a guy that a lot of people have their eye on. He came in at 6'2 and a half, 307 pounds. Uh, won't get any, you know, hand size is fine, arm, wing, about average. But De De Devontae is another guy uh, who's going to have an opportunity to make a lot of money for himself. And you know what? He's got to line up across from Schaefer and, uh, and uh, Jamari to do it. So these Georgia guys are going to be going against each other. I'll tell you who else is here. Cade Mays. Cade Mays is here. You know who else is here? Jermaine Johnson. So the Georgia guys are going to be able to get reacquainted with their former teammates. Um, you got to understand these guys are all cool with each other. They don't hate each other. I know fans get mad, but the players are cool with each other. So this is going to be an opportunity for all these guys to compete. I counted it up today. 12 of the 14 players on the defensive line for the American team, and they'll be coached by the Detroit Lions, are from the SEC. So 12 of the 14 defensive linemen from the SEC. So it's a who's who. Uh, LSU represented, Alabama, Kentucky, AM, certainly Georgia. A lot of SEC guys here for Jamari. And the best of the best. It's the best of the best. And it's all about how you compete in these practices. And, and they go hard. Okay. They go really hard. So it's no joke, man. These practices, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, guys are going to make a lot of money. Darian Kendrick is here. Uh, he's 5'11 and a half. Uh, came in at 202, bigger than I thought. I thought I thought Darian was a little smallish, but no. 202 is plenty big. 74 wing, 9 and an eighth hand, plenty big. Um, be really interested. This is going to be really big for Darian Kendrick. I've seen Darian projected as high as the first round. Uh, I personally don't think he's there based on what I saw from Stokes and Tyson Campbell. I think he's a step down from those guys. I think he's good, but I don't think he's in Eric Stokes or Tyson Campbell's league. I see Darian as a second or a third rounder, but you know what? He's got an opportunity to prove me wrong. He's got an opportunity to cover some of the best receivers in the nation one-on-one -on -one in these skeleton drills, these seven-on-sevens, these NFL-type practices. The next three days are going to be the biggest three days of Darian Kendrick's life to this point. Uh, here's Tyndall, came in at 6'1 half, 223. Big hands, 10 and 2 eighths, 32-inch uh, arms, 77 wingspan. And uh, I don't think Jake Camarda's numbers are going to impress you too much. He's 6'191", but Jake can dunk a basketball. He showed me that uh, at, the, uh, at the camp that Kirby Smart goes to, Camp Sunshine. Uh, Cade Mays, just in case you're wondering, 6'4", 321. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, 6'4", 259. So the measurables happen today. That used to be a public event. Uh, the players would get up there in their you know, athletic shorts, no shirt on, and stand and be measured. And the NFL people and media would stand there and we'd watch them. And you would get to see the guys build and all that. And you're like, oh, you like that build? This guy can look strong here or there. They no longer make that public. That's a private way in now. Some people felt it was antiquated. Um, 
I don't know. I, they used to call it the beauty. The beauty pageant is what they used to call it for years and years and years. So this was the first year uh, that that was in public. So that's a lot of senior bowl talk, probably, uh, you know, again, the game's at 2.30 on Saturday. And uh, I'll be down here this week keeping you posted. The quarterback's down here, uh, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. I'll try to catch up with him and ask him to compare Georgia and Alabama. Uh, Pitt's Kenny Pickett is here. Uh, Nevada's Carson Strong. Uh, Sam Howell from North Carolina here. Uh, Western Kentucky's Bailey Zappa. And Liberty's uh, Malik Willis, a guy that folks in Atlanta are certainly familiar with. So some marquee guys here this week. And I look forward to interviewing and seeing them. I see we're at the uh, 24 minute mark and uh, I'm going to call it halftime right now because uh, the second half, we're going to focus more on the Georgia football team. Going to talk about Stetson Bennett, uh, the celebration that he had down there in Blackshear. We're going to talk about JT Daniels. I'm going to give you some information on JT, give you some schools that, that I think make sense for him and, and could be in the mix. Uh, talk a little bit about the Georgia quarterbacks room and, and maybe what these hires mean. Uh, but right now, you guys know right now, very important part of the show, couldn't do the show without our friends at Ingalls. You know, sometimes you, you run across people, uh, you run across businesses and you say to yourself, man, what would I do without them? And certainly when we went through the throes of the pandemic and, and certainly still some after effects of that now, I hope everyone is being safe and cautious. But so much appreciation for the people that continue to serve us. You know, the doors are open. The supplies are on the shelves. What we need is there for us. And, and that's not just a name. Those are the people that are making that happen, right? And those are the folks at Ingles. They've been there for us throughout the pandemic. They're here for us every Monday night. They're here for you. Let's take a moment and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. And again, we thank our sponsored Ingles, and I know you appreciate him as well. Uh, so talking Georgia football, again, exciting time, defending national champs. And here's my question. How do you go up from national champ, right? This is where it gets tricky for Kirby Smart. And I spoke with Josh Brooks, the athletic director. And I think Josh Brooks is a guy who gives Georgia a chance to ascend, even though they're already at the top. How do you make the best better? And, and that's tricky, right? You know, Kirby's the guy that says, if it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. But how do you know what to change? How do you know what direction to go? One of the things Josh Brooks told me, and I need to I need to print this story on Dog Nation. It's run in the AJC newspaper. Uh, we did a project on how the national championship affected Georgia in many ways, not just the university, uh, the athletic department, the state, the team. And, and my job was to write about how it affected the athletic department. Well, certainly from a financial sense, there's going to be more money available because your marketing department is going to have more opportunities and you're going to sell more items. You may have saw the item from Fanatics that Georgia sold more merchandise in 24 hours than Alabama did in 30 days after their most recent national title. So the Georgia fans all in. I've seen a lot of that cool championship gear with that dog collar around. It's pretty neat. 
Now, there's kind of a beat writer rule. As a number, you don't wear the gear of the school you cover. You just don't do that. If you're a beat guy, I'm a beat. I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter. Objectivity is important. We all have different roles. Okay. Brandon is the voice of the fan and Centel works with recruiting. He has to work closely with the university and, and, you know, and, and Connor works with Brandon on his show. So we all have different roles and different approaches, but I got to tell you, that's some pretty sweet gear. You know, I might, I might need to get a souvenir for the, for the, just, you know, and I do have some, I do have some souvenirs from Indianapolis. I've got a, a sign, the championship sign said media concierge doesn't have a logo on it. Right. But the Indianapolis championship event. Right. So it's cool. Everybody likes to remember and be a part of a special night. Um, but what I liked that Josh Brooks said was this. And I, and I I don't know if I'm breaking the news here, but if you hadn't heard, they're not going to raise ticket prices this year. They're not going to raise concession prices. You might say, Mike, that's crazy. The perfect time for Georgia to raise ticket prices and concession prices is when they win a championship because you all are willing to pay for more now. Right. Josh Brooks says, no, we're not. We're not going to raise the ticket prices this year. They may have to down the road. Of course, they've got to adjust their budget to what's going on in inflation. But this year, no, no, Georgia's not looking to cash in on the fans. In fact, Josh Brooks is looking at just the opposite. George is looking to invest in the program. They're going to make more money. They're going to invest more money. They're not just going to take it and stash it. They're going to invest more. Now, part of that, obviously, Kirby's got a contract coming up. 10 years, $100 million. I've been putting that number out there for a month and a half. It hasn't moved. The needle hasn't moved. Now, what I do think, and Kirby could gouge him for more. Make no mistake about it. So two things here. Georgia could leverage Kirby for being a lifetime dog and say, listen, Kirby, you're not kidding anybody. You're not going anywhere else. You're a bulldog for life, right? They could do that, but they're not going to do that. And Kirby could leverage Georgia and say, listen, you guys know I'm the man. And if you don't pay me, you would really be dealing with fans. But nobody's leveraging anybody. It's, hey, let's take a look at the market value. Let's find a number that works for both of us. And, and I think that's going to be smooth because one thing you don't know about Kirby Smart that I can share with you, um, or maybe you do if you remember this, and I only wrote it once, but a couple of years ago when Mel Tucker and Jim Chaney moved on to coach at other places, these are two veteran coaches, both, you know, I think Jim was in his 50s, Mel's in his 40s. These guys have been around the block. They both had coached in the NFL. What I'm saying is they had reason for those high salaries. I think Jim was about 900000 and I want to say Mel was around $1.2 million, something like that. Anyway, they both left after the 2018 season. And they were replaced by James Coley, who'd never been a coordinator, and Dan Lanning, who was on the way up. Well, Kirby didn't ask for those guys' salaries and everybody just, you know, let's take the old salary pool and let's just spread it around. George's salary pool actually went down between 2018 and 2019. Who does that? Show me another head coach who's had the salary pool for his assistance decrease from one year to the next. But that's what Kirby did. And I remember talking to Greg McGarity about it. And Greg was explaining, you know, this is what makes Kirby such a special guy to work with. He He's very genuine. It's not just a grab bag. I want to get what I can get. Like you might get with a mercenary coach, you know, who's here to take the next step. Kirby's invested in Georgia. So he wasn't looking to just grab more money or keep that pool high. He recognized that, hey, you know, Lanning and Coley, 
They don't have the years of experience that Tucker and Cheney did. So we don't need to just keep having that. So they actually, the staff actually had a, a, a cut. So now, conversely, this year, getting a guy like BMAC back, that's going to cost you some money. Okay, he's a hot commodity. By far and away, the biggest addition of the staff, BMAC. You know, uh, Bobo, I'm not really sure, you know, where his immediate value is. Certainly having another good mind in the room. Kirby having another guy that he trusts, that he's comfortable with. Uh, an old friend around. It, it was going to work out like that with Muschamp. And, and it turned out, look at how valuable Will Muschamp turned out to be, you know, once Scott Cochran wasn't back with the pro. Will Muschamp came up aces. I still believe Will Muschamp was one of the most important pieces of the offseason to help lead Georgia to a title. Think about how much extra work they were able to get in for those young defensive backs with Muschamp. Well, Bobo is a guy who can coach quarterbacks. Munkin is a quarterback's coach, but he doesn't really work with the mechanics of a quarterback. I mean, not on that extreme level. I, I think Bobo probably does more of a quarterback. Munkin is more of the offensive mind. So that's my only question is how do Bobo and Munkin coexist and whose role is what? Now, these guys have all talked about this. They're all professionals. Uh, you know, Kirby doesn't, you know, there, there is no BS at Georgia. Okay. There's just not, there's just, Kirby doesn't have time for anything except productivity. I think they know what they're signing up for. They've got a huge task, a lot of pressure. You're trying to defend a national championship after losing 14 or 15 NFL draft picks. That's unbelievable. 14 or 15. Now LSU had 14 guys drafted off that Joe Burrow team. That's the NFL record. Georgia could set the single team record for most players picked in a draft in the seven round era. Uh, that's remarkable. That's how talented this team was. That's a lot of reloading, though, on many fronts, not just from a talent standpoint, but you, you, you'll alter your scheme a little bit because you alter your scheme to fit your strengths and weaknesses. You'll see some changes there. Your leadership, particularly, this is a, this is a, a red flag. You know, red flag's a little strong word, but this is an area of concern that, that I'm going to ask about that we're all going to monitor. Who are the new leaders? Who are they? Right. Um, how are they representing them? How are they taking care of their business? Staying out of the headline. Who are the leaders of the team in 2022? Um, that leads me to Stetson Bennett. You know, Stetson, you know, Georgia had 18 team captains last year. Stetson wasn't one of them. I, I can't explain to you why, you know, the team didn't vote him a captain, but it just didn't happen. This year, I think he will be a team captain. I think Stetson Bennett will be the starter when they play Oregon. I, I just don't know how Kirby you know, could could pull him out of there. I mean, he operates the offense that Kirby wants to run. The personnel fits right now what Stetson does. You've recruited some more really good tight ends. You you know, your receiving core is good, but you're down Burton. That, that's There's no way to slice it. You know, you don't want to lose a guy like Jermaine Burton. But, hey, if Jermaine wasn't happy with his role, then he needs to be somewhere else. That's, that's the beauty of it. You don't want anybody who's disenchanted uh, or doesn't feel like they fit your scheme, right? Kirby's going to use the portal, too. There's going to be guys that are going to come to Georgia. Um, I, I think Georgia's going to land a really big guy out of the portal. I can't – I don't want to go further than, than that tonight, but I, I'm i I'm hearing, you know, you know, there's there's a really big name in the portal, you know, that could be coming Georgia's way. So, you know, kind of keep your ear to the ground for that former five-star. But, but uh, you know, I look at uh, this team next year. I look at the schedule, and I say, you know what? Run it back. I, I think George is going to be back in the SEC championship game. I think Stetson's going to be the quarterback, um, at least especially early on. I think I think Beck could push. I think Vandergriff could push. I think 
I think what we're looking at is a Beck Vandergriff showdown for the number two spot and, and two men enter and one, one man leave, you know, Mad Max style, you know, Gunnar Stockton, he's there probably red shirt. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Stetson came back for a reason and, and I wrote about him today. Um, you know, look, nobody's naming him the starter now. Nobody's anointing him, but he's going to leave. You know, he's not going to sit around and wait for somebody to go, yep, you're the starter. No, he's taking the initiative. He's leading right now. You may have read that story uh, about how eager he is to work with A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey, Brock Bowers. It's his turn to lead. This is Stetson's offseason. He hasn't really had an offseason. Think about it. Last year was JT's offseason. JT taking the guys to California, calling the quarterback, you know, when we're going to throw. He's in charge of all that. Uh, you know, JT coaching up Stead on the sideline, helping the other guys out. Now this, now this is Stead's turn. Now it's Stead's turn to be that guy, and um, and and be the guy of the offseason. And he's just he's grabbing it. He's just taking it. And so that's going to be interesting to watch the next few weeks before spring drills start, um, and, and see how that kind of works itself out. Uh, but you know, just listening to to, to Stetson, he's maintained. I believe a healthy chip on the shoulder. I'm, I'm a chip on the shoulder guy. And when I, when I see it, I know it because I am it. And so I have an appreciation for guys that have a chip on their shoulder. And, and that's that guy. Listen, that's what's got him here. You know, somebody said, were you surprised he came back? I said, no. Where else is he going to go? And why would he quit? He wants to play ball. He doesn't want, he's not into the fame and the, that's not what Stetson wants. Stetson wants to play football, man. That's what he wants. He doesn't want the Disney movie. He doesn't want to be the SEC's Rudy. No, he's got the rest of his life for that. He wants to play football right now. And, and no BS about it, almost to a fault. I mean, some of the stuff he goes, wow, you could have said that a lot nicer. He's not interested in being a lot nicer. He's interested in playing football. Okay? And that's just where he's at with it. And a lot of this other stuff, he doesn't got time for. He just he doesn't, And he doesn't make any bones about it. That's just Stetson. That's just... He is who he is. I mean, you hear the teammates say it now that we're all getting to know him better from the video interviews. And, you know, sometimes he says stuff, you kind of go, but you know what? Hey, that's that. That's that being stat. You just got to know that's how he is. So, um, and it worked and it's what works for him. You know, we all have different things that work for us, right? I can't try to be Brandon Adams any more than Brandon Adams can try to be me. We're very different in our approach. But Brandon does Brandon. Mike does Mike. Jeff does Jeff. Connor does Connor. You know, that's just, there's not a one size. And it's the same way in football. Now, we all want these guys to be perfect, like, like the NASCAR drivers, right? The carbon copy guys. I don't think that worked for NASCAR. I don't think that worked out. I think we all went, boy, these guys kind of all dress and sound the same. They got the same haircut, same mustache. The fire suits change colors, but they all say the same things at the press. We kind of missed having that Earnhardt. We missed having that Rusty Wallace. I'm, like, I'm throwing out some names here. People are going, wait a minute, NASCAR? What's that? It used to be a big thing. Trust me. But but my point is, everybody kind of has to do them. You know, to be I truly believe to be successful, you've got to find out who you are and find your why and then maximize it. And don't try to be somebody else because that doesn't work, right? And the different coaches I've covered, I've, I've noticed that, okay? Phil Fulmer was Phil Fulmer. Pat Summit was Pat Summit. Tom Izzo, Tom Izzo. Bruce Pearl, Bruce Pearl. Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart, right? Gene Stalling. You know, these, these, there wasn't like, you know, they're reading out of one book how to be a great coach. They were who they were, and they maximized it. 
And, and to me, quarterbacks and team leaders, the same thing. And, and so I don't fault step for what he isn't any more than you should. Um, you know, he is what he is. And Kirby's got a system that Stett fits. Now, it's not a high-volume pass system. Now, Munkin has said it could be. He said, look, a lot of these numbers could be different if we chose to throw in the fourth quarter. That's a Kirby decision. But part of the reason Kirby does that is because he doesn't want to stop the clock with incompletions. He wants the clock to run. He wants to increase the chances of winning. He wants to decrease the chances of injuries. There's some very practical reasons for Georgia not throwing the ball in the fourth quarter. The flip side is you're not getting your receivers targets. They want to catch the football. So it's kind of a slip. So but only Kirby can measure that. Okay. It's kind of like if you've ever coached youth sports, when do you pull your starters? Right. When do you pull your starters? And everybody's a little different. There's different times. There's different reasons uh, why you get different people reps, how you substitute. And only the head coach has all of that information in front of them. We make judgments and decisions and comments based on what we see, which is Saturdays. They see Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. We don't see the doctor report from Ron Corson. Kirby does. We don't know who's at 90%, who's playing at 80%, who's playing at 75%. We don't know whose girlfriend just broke up with them, right? We don't know who misses mom that's a freshman and might need that little bit. We don't know everything the coach knows. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to second guess and have opinions, right? But you got to remember the coaches have so much more information than we do. And that's why every now and then, you know, when I'll feel myself going too far with an opinion, I'll go, wait a minute. I don't know everything, you know, and, and I usually most always give the head coach the benefit of the doubt. There's a reason he's there. All right. Now, with Kirby, I will say this. I've had this philosophical thought during the offseason, and I think this is true of a lot of young coaches. I think Kirby almost wants to prove that he's a good coach. I don't think he needs to prove that. I think he needs to prove he's a good manager. I think that's where we're at right now with college football. I think it's really hard to be a truly hands-on coach and also have that CEO management where you're over the top. It, can you be over the top and hands-on at the same time? That's really, really good. Now, Saban probably walks that fine line as well. And even Saban, though, you know, you, you start to see him you know, starting to give others more responsibility. I just think Kirby's in a position where I think he's trying to do that. And I think when you add guys like Muschamp and Bobo and you've got a coordinator like Munkin, I think that makes it more possible. I think the trust is there. And because of the money, because Kirby's not going to, I don't think Kirby's going to try to hit Georgia for 130 or 140 million. I think if he gets his number, it's reasonable. And then he just tells Brooks, hey, take care of my staff. I want, I want you know, our staff's going to be high paid. I may not be the highest paid head coach out there, but I want the staff to, and I'm not speaking for Kirby. I'm just, I'm taking a stab at what I think is going to happen, you know, um, because I think Kirby really likes the staff. I mean, there's a lot of former Georgia guys back here and it looks like there's a potential for really good chemistry. Now, Munkin, Munkin is the key to Arch Manning. I'm just going to tell you, Munkin is the mind that Peyton and the Manning family really like. Todd Munkin, and you guys saw it. You guys saw how Munkin calls these plays. Georgia constantly uh, out leverages the other team. They're just a step ahead. He's got the right play and the right check for every situation. A lot of the Georgia offensive success 
was Todd Munkin in his play calling uh, and his scheming. I mean, the guy, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. He's worth whatever they pay him, 2.5, you know, three, lock him down because he's what's going to get Manning here. If anybody's going to get Arch Manning here, it's Munkin. Now, Kirby's out recruiting. Kirby's building relationships. Um, you know, Kirby's selling the program, representing, doing what a head coach should do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the Mannings are going to want Arch to play for somebody who's on their level in terms of, you know, their ability to, to see offense, to get him prepared for the NFL, to put him in position to, to fly the jet at the line of scrimmage, as I'd like to say, right? That guy who can make all the calls at the line of scrimmage and manage the game because that absolutely paralyzes the defense. When you've got a quarterback in a pro-style system that can go to the line and make all the checks and get you into the right play before the defense has a chance to react. You know, I remember a few years ago, I was at the NFL Combine and I was talking to, a, <coughs> excuse me, a safety from Baylor. And I was asking him about Jake Fromm. And I said, what, you know, what did you think of Jake Fromm? And he's like, oh man, he's phenomenal. One of the best quarterbacks we ever played against. And I said, well, what made Jake Fromm so great? Right. And he said, well, because he could do everything at the line. It didn't matter what we were lined up and he could get them in the right play. And we didn't have a chance to change our play call because Jake was able to get Georgia. You know, JT's the same way. Stetson's the same way. That's what this offense is. Not everybody can run it. OK, so that's why true freshmen, doesn't matter how talented they are, they can't come in and run it, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Brock Vandegrift, whether it's Carson Beck. You know, you just don't come in and run this system because it's that complex. And that's the beauty that now that's the good and the bad news. The good news is you're a half a step ahead of the defense every time you go to the line of scrimmage because you've got a quarterback that can read and get you in the right play. The bad news is sometimes your best talent doesn't get on the field quickly because it does take time to learn the nuances of a pro style offense. And it does require uh, it, you know, extreme discipline and where you're lined up and one foot can make a difference. It truly make it truly can. We're talking about leverage here and splits and, and all sorts of technical things that set a really good pro style offense apart from a regular, a more conventional, easier, you know, spread offense where the guy claps his hands and looks at the sideline for the play. Cause when he claps his hands and looks at the sideline for the play, the defense adjusts too. But when you got a guy that goes under center, and just starts reading and starts checking, you don't have time to start moving around because he can snap the ball at any time. So a little talk there about Munkin's value, Arch Manning, the Georgia offense, the value of it. You know, So maybe they don't throw it 50 times a game, but you know what? They're playing a pro-style system, so those guys that play in it are going to adjust to the NFL easier than some of the guys playing in some of these you know, run-and-shoot high school offenses that are just a lot more simplistic where you only read half the field instead of the full field, and you don't get asked to make all those adjustments at the line, right? So there's pros and cons, um, the dip in the water. Now, I mentioned JT earlier. Uh, so JT has to graduate from Georgia before he can be eligible. So he'll be sticking around UGA this spring. And, you know, there's plenty of teams that are interested in him. Um, again, I'll write it tomorrow, you know, Florida State, LSU, Notre Dame, Penn State, uh, TCU, Oregon State, Missouri. Um, trying to go down the list here of other schools uh, that, I, that, I, that I'm aware of. Uh, USC back in it. There's a lot of, you know, so I think I was told between 17 and 20, the last, last count. But, you know, just like he did last time, and, and the only reason I'm telling you this is because I know there's a lot of Georgia fans 
that still like JT. I mean, there's Georgia fans, but you like JT. Um, JT handled himself well. He'll, he's he went out with class. Um, I think it's going to be like he was when he came to Georgia. Remember one day, I forget what we were all doing at Dog Nation, but it was like JT Daniels just committed to Georgia. It's like May 31. Like, what what in the world? I think Brandon did a live shot on it. Uh, I got the USC beat writer on. We all scrambled at Dog Nation. Like, where did this come from? I think it's going to be kind of like that again, because I think you you all know how de detailed and thorough he is. So he's going to talk with all these people and probably meet with these people and visit all. And he's going to be go through with a fine tooth comb. You can't get there till after spring anyway. So, you know, I, I don't think you're going to, you know, I wouldn't be holding your breath waiting on any announcement. And I think there's still a lot of room for things to change um, at different schools that could open up doors. So schools need to go through spring themselves and kind of see what they've got. So that's kind of where all that's at. You know, I remember my boss asked me about it about a week and a half ago. I said, yeah, we'll do something on that. We'll, I'll catch you up on that when there's something. To catch. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the catch up on it, right? It's the cheat sheet version of what's going on with JT. Nothing, nothing crazy. You know, I'm just studying and taking classes at Georgia. He loves Georgia. He wants a Georgia degree. Um, so it worked out pretty well. Okay. Let's take a look. Do you have any questions for me tonight before I go? It's 913 Eastern. It's 830. I'm in the central time zone. Got to get used to that. Um, Questions, guys. Do you got any questions for me tonight? I'm trying to think. Did I did I touch on everything? I, think I touched on everything. See Rodney White have some popcorn and uh, John Foster here. Uh, uh, I don't really see too much. I guess we got the. I guess we covered it uh, pretty well tonight. Trying to think. Um, uh, Georgia practices. I expect will start uh, somewhere around the middle of March. Pro day around then as well. Uh, I see a question here uh, from Frank Patterson. How many dogs will go in the first round, first three rounds? Wow. Okay, so let's talk first round. Um, Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker. I think those three guys are first round slam dunks. I think George Pickens could, could, uh, first round, late first to mid second. Uh, you know, we've seen Darian Kendrick's name there. Could he, I, he has a, if he has a big senior bowl, runs a really good number, but I don't think so. I'm going to say three in the first round. I'm going to be conservative here. I've had Pickens. I can't decide. Is he a first round? Is he not a first round? I'm going to say no tonight. So three in the first round. I think you got Pickens, uh, Jamari Salyer, Devontae Wyatt in the second round. Maybe Kendrick. Okay. So now we're at seven. Um, Third round, I think Quay and Tyndall would be eight, nine. Um, could could seen, could cook. So I'm going to say 10. I'm going to put the over under at 10 going in the first three rounds. Uh, I see someone asking me what's going on with Darnell Washington. You know, Darnell didn't get the ball a lot, and he wants to. He was injured a lot. He's not getting the ball like Brock Bowers. I think Darnell is to be determined. I sense that Darnell will stay at Georgia at least through spring, and I think Kirby's going to have a chance to re-recruit him and show him how he's going to be involved in the offense. And so uh, I, there's you, uh, you all know there's obvious interest from other programs in Darnell Washington. You know, I, I think he's a wait and see. I mean, you know, the fact that he's still here is a win for Kirby. Right. The fact that he didn't already transfer, the fact that Kirby's keeping him in the program, I think for spring semester, I think that's a big win. And 
And we all know when Kirby really wants somebody, he's one of the best recruiters out there. And so I think he's going to have an opportunity to kind of show Darnell how he fits. And, and Darnell can have a better idea because now Darnell's healthy, right? I mean, Darnell missed the first four games with that foot. And then even when he came back, he wasn't a hundred percent. You can bet Munkin will do some different things for Darnell. Um, you know, step through too many ends. I had a touchdown in the SEC title game. So, you know, let's give Darnell some time. Um, and look, it's not just Darnell. This is how college football is now. Everybody's a free agent, right? Unless you've already transferred once, everybody's a free agent. And this is the danger with the immediate. And you know that there's other schools calling. They're not supposed to be tampering, but you know that they are. And you also know that NIL money's being thrown around. There's a lot of moving parts now. It's never been more challenging. Roster management has never been more challenging than it is now. And I'll say this for Kirby. He's one of the best at roster management. One of the best I've ever seen. He's shrewd. Uh, you know, I don't always agree with all his decisions, obviously, do you, right? This is another thing that's, that's in interesting. I mean, used to be in college football. You know, I did a radio show today. I do 92.9 The Game in Atlanta on Monday mornings at 8 a.m. For those of you who haven't heard it, uh, Hugh and, and John, they, they push my buttons. They get me fired up. You know, I... I had some remarks today. I kind of went off on them. You know, we started talking about, you know, what recruits are going to, you know, I said, listen, I don't even know who's going to be here in a year. I don't even know who's going to be here in a year. This free agency stuff, you got to keep them in your program. Does it got now take Crowder is probably not a good example because he's such a loyal, dedicated guy, but take the average person with take Crowder talent. They come in as a running back. Well, we, we just saw it. Lavoisier Carroll comes in as a running back, moves to cornerback. Checks out after a year, South Carolina. See ya, right? Nobody's mad at Lavoisier Carroll. That's what worked out best for him. But it didn't used to be that way. It used to be, well, you stay in the program and you work your way into it. There's a guy at, at uh, Michigan State I covered named Jeremy Langham. And Jeremy was a really good running back. They had too many running backs when Le'Veon Bell was there, so they moved him to defense. He played cornerback for a year. Then he moved back to offense, played running back, won a Rose Bowl, got drafted by the Chicago Bears, and had a nice little three- or four-year career, right? Nowadays, does Langham stick around if he gets moved over to corner? Probably not. Probably transfers out. So when you hear the coaches bemoaning this, it's because there's a value to staying in a program and working your way through it and trusting the system. You know, but some guys don't want to do that. They, they want to just go somewhere else. And that's, you know, that's that's the system we're in. So I liked what Kirby said at uh, at the early signing day press conference when we asked him, we, I don't remember who asked him, another media member asked him, what do you think of this mess with the NIL and the one? And Kirby said, well, it's not a mess to me. It's just the world I live in. In other words, he's not going to complain about it. Look, there's no point in complaining. These are the rules. It's now Kirby's job to figure out how to maximize them. So he didn't complain. Look, you know, you call it a mess. Obviously, there's challenges, but there's always challenges. So rather than complain, Kirby doesn't, you know, like the, the whole living color thing, homie, don't play that. Kirby don't play that, right? Kirby don't play complaining and feeling sorry for himself. Kirby doesn't have time for that BS, right? Kirby is, all right, what do we need to get done? Let's go. Don't complain about it. Just go and do it. And, uh, and that's what Kirby does. I see Michael Harkins is asking uh, who will be the running back to get the most carries next year. I'd probably say that I see Milton and McIntosh splitting carries like Zamir and Cook did, right? Um, you know, I, I, I hope that 
I, I hope you don't lose any running backs. I like this backfield a lot. You got four really good ones, in my opinion. Um, does Kirby bring in another transfer? Maybe. Depends on who it is. You know, he doesn't just bring guys in just to bring guys in. You know, four seems like a lot, but look what happened to Alabama. When B. Robinson got hurt at the end of the year, they got thin really fast. So maybe you see a transfer come in. I don't know. Um, something to keep an eye out for. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, how will the UGA offense be better next season? Offensive line. Oh, man, this offensive line. Holy cow. Broderick Jones at left tackle. Um, you know, maybe Erickson moves from right guard to left guard. Really like Van Pran. He kind of strikes me as a team captain kind of guy. Somewhere on the right side, you got to have a Marius Mims and Warren McClendon. Uh, you know, just so big, so strong. You're going to think I'm crazy when I say this, but I think you get an upgrade with the running backs. I like Milton and McIntosh better than I liked White and Cook just overall. I just think they have a higher upside. And, and, and that's saying a lot because Zamir and James are NFL players, but you know, I, I see stardom with those two guys. You know, you guys have seen KM squared, the program we did. You got to know Kendall and Kenny a little bit. These guys just strike me as, as star power. You know, Kendall is bigger than Zamir. I think he's got better vision. Um, you know, we'll see if he can stay healthy, right? Hasn't shown the durability the first two years. It'll be the first to tell you that. But I think that's going to be a big deal for Kendall to see what kind of load he can carry. Uh, I, Kenny's already there. Kenny was playing better than any of them at the end of the year, in my opinion. If you looked at the last two or three games, McIntosh was playing really, really peak ball. So I think you got a couple of stars in the making there. Um, you know, receiver, it's not necessarily that you're better. It's that you're more experienced, okay? And because you're more experienced, I think you get out of the gate quicker. Um, I think you understand what Stetson can do better and how he can work with these receivers better. I think Munkin can fine-tune this a little bit. Um, remember last year, you came out of the gate. You started, again, you know, JT started that first game. He's hurt. Uh, Burton's hurt. Kiaris isn't even playing receiver in the first game. It's Ladd McConkey's first college catch. It's A.D. Mitchell's first college game. I mean, your receiving core against Clemson was green and banged up. And you better believe that affected that game plan. And then Clemson threw a curve at you. But my point is this year, these guys have got some games under the belt. And so I think because you've had Stetson working with these guys a full season, uh, I, I feel like they're going to be more in sync. And and they're going to need to be. And, and I think the numbers will be better because I think you're going to have more games where you're going to need offense into the second half. I think the defense is still going to be good. But what we saw last year was historic dominance. And you just you're not going to get that every year. You can't. You're you're losing. You know how many guys from the front seven are being drafted? I mean, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis. You're losing three. You're starting front four. Okay, Nolan's back on the edge, and then you're losing to Kobe Dean and Quay Walker. I mean, you're losing. You know, those are your six. You play pretty much a three. You know, three three five counting Nolan as a three. You know, you lose four. Your your front six or five of your front six, right? Yeah, you lose five of your front six. So. Now, Jalen Carter is no rookie. He'll be plugged in there. Uh, Zion Logan, like, like him. Um, you know, Nolan could be, you know, in for a big year. Jamin Dumas Johnson, I like this guy. Every time he was in the game, he made plays. But you're not going to be as good. Secondary is another question. You know, you lose Lewis Seen. I like Smith coming back. I think that's really big. You know, Keeley's a guy that had some coverage issues. You saw that. He also made some big-time plays. I think you'll have a more consistent Keeley Ringo. Um, 
but who's your you know corner across from? So there's questions still. Uh, you lose Camarda. He was a huge, huge hidden weapon. Tons of hidden yardage off the foot leg of Jake Camarda. Uh, sounds like Jake, Jake Pod's back, so you're kicking game. But I look at the schedule, and I just think it lends itself to a really successful – I mean, the games that I look at, okay, Oregon because Lanning. Okay, let's be honest. You know, we're all looking at Oregon and going, ah, you know, Dan Lanning's a pretty good coach. That's an – you know, they beat Ohio State. You know, you know I, I think Georgia wins, but that's one that I kind of go – that that is definitely a game to point to and be concerned about. Maybe not to the extent Clemson was last year, but but still a really, really big game. And then uh, it's going to sound crazy, but Kentucky, you know, Will Levis is back. Uh, Rodriguez is back. I think they bring a lot back. And that game is in Lexington next year. So those are the couple of games. And then, you know, obviously Alabama. Alabama stacked, right? If, if I'd almost take Alabama against the field to win the national title right now. The reason I wouldn't is because injuries happen. And if Bryce Young isn't there, then it's not the same Alabama team. But Bryce Young is unbelievable. I mean, he is the real deal. I've had scouts tell me that if he was eligible for the draft, he would have been the first or second pick this year. And Will Anderson would have been the other one. Uh, thanks for the comment there. Tyke Smith, another guy you got coming in. I expect Tyke to be really good at run support, fill that star position. So that's a good one. He doesn't really count as a returning starter, but you're right. He certainly is. He was an All-American at West Virginia. And yeah, Rich, Kentucky. Yeah, I, I know, right? Kentucky, like, it almost seems laughable. It's a basketball but look at what they got back. I mean, Chris Rodriguez is a really good running back and Will Levis is a pretty good quarterback and Georgia doesn't have the same front seven, uh, you know, that they did a year ago. And it's in, in October. Now maybe Kentucky will be all beat up by that. Maybe they don't have the depth. Maybe they'll lose to Ole Miss and Mississippi state. But when I look at teams that have a lot coming back and Kentucky plays that physical style of football, and I've been up there to Kentucky in November and it's cold, man. It's cold. See, you've asked me this a couple times. Do I ever sit back and take in that you're actually covering the national championship team? It has to be fun as a beat writer journalist. Um, there's no doubt that being at the national title game, being at the Orange Bowl, um, those are great experiences, man. And, and I've said, I've told you guys from the beginning, you know, this is four years. This will be my fifth year covering Georgia. I, covering Georgia is a big time program. I've covered the four winningest programs in SEC history, you know, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn. And, and I don't take any of it for granted. I really don't. I appreciate it. And I work really hard to do it. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, there's, there's not a lot of time to, to pat yourself on there. You know, there's, there's an 8 a.m. press conference tomorrow morning, you know, that I've got to get to down here in Mobile. And, you know, you just keep the wheel churning. But, and, and I think everybody at Dog Nation feels that way. You know, I think we all consider ourselves fortunate but we're all just churning, right? Because this is such an exciting time. It's such an important time uh, in Georgia football history. We want to stay on top of it. Again, we all do our jobs differently. So I guess the point I would make that I would want to make, um, you know, off of that is, you know, being a beat guy. And, you know, sometimes the news that I deliver isn't always the, the, the most pleasant. My take isn't always positive. It's not always the rainbows and unicorn stuff. Listen, that's just not me. I'm going to try to give you a, an unfiltered, realistic view based on the perspective that I have. And like any other program, there's goods, there's highs, there's lows. Obviously, right now with Georgia, there's a ton more highs than lows. But that doesn't mean you ignore the lows, right? You still got to have a realistic outlook. At least I feel like I need to. 
right? That's my responsibility. I was talking with someone earlier tonight and, you know, uh, you know, well, what do you, what do you write for? I, I write to sleep at night. I cover the team. Like I grew up, I grew up a sports fan and I grew up a fan of the Denver Broncos. Okay. I mean, listen, it's a confession, Denver Broncos fan here. And I grew up, you know, John Elway was my favorite player. And when the Broncos were on and, and I would listen to Brent Musburger call the games between the Broncos and the Raiders. And doggone it, if when the Raiders won, if Brent just didn't dig those comments in there and screw it in, I would get so mad at Brent Musburger as a kid. And I'd turn the TV down, but then I'd want to hear what he'd say, and I'd turn it back up. And, and I was just so wrapped up in these games. And when the Broncos would win and Musburger, I mean, yeah, take that, Musburger. You know, again, high school kid, junior high kid. So I was, I grow up, right? At least I think I'm growing up. And uh, I guess it was five or six years ago, I ran into Brent Mosberger. And I said, Brent, I got to tell you, you used to pee me off so bad. I used to watch those games and I used to get so angry at you. And he said, up, oh, I had you, didn't I? And, and you know why he had me? And you know why I got angry? Because he would say, what I just saw, but didn't want to see. I didn't want to admit he was right, but of course he was right. And he just had that knack. And, and I'm not trying to be Brent Musburger. I, I couldn't be Brent Musburger. He's one of the most gifted announcers of all time. He was incredibly entertaining. His analysis was spot on, uh, keen, uh, insightful, uh, almost instinctual with the calls of the games and had a voice that, you know, and, and a mannerism, an on-screen presence that, I'll never have. Um, wildly entertaining guy. Um, but he was wildly entertaining because he would say the things that some other people wouldn't say. He was willing to call out the elephant in the room. And, and sometimes that got to me as a fan, back when I was a fan. And when John Elway retired, I mean, it just happened. Like John Elway retired after Terrell Davis helped him win that Super Bowl. And I just... I didn't care as much about the Broncos. I just, it just, it was gone. Poof, right. I started coaching my kids. That was when I was a fan. Oh my gosh. Sleep at night, you know, coaching my kids. Now that I was in, you know, now that mattered. I'd cheer at those games. Other games. I just, you know, it's, it's business. It's work. It's, it's analysis. I enjoy it. I love sports. I've watched them all my life. Um, I don't know if that gives you any insight as, as to who I am and where I'm, you know, what I feel like, but, you know, covering whether it was Alabama or Auburn or Tennessee or Michigan State or now Georgia, you know, it's just calling it like it is. And um, but to answer your question, absolutely. I mean, it, it's great to cover a program that so many people care about. It's great to cover a program that I feel is so well respected. And here's the really cool thing in the caveat. I still think Georgia is a little bit of a well-kept secret. I don't think there's a lot of people that have spent time in Athens. I don't think people really understand what makes Georgia, Georgia. And I think Kirby Smart, being a former Bulldog, and now bringing guys like Bobo and BMAC back on staff and Will Muschamp, I think Georgia has more flavor and more character and a more unique sense about it than ever before. I truly believe that. With And, and, it, and that's what makes it such a great time. And so for me to be able to tell the story of this program that, that appears to be on the cusp of a dynasty, you know, 
that's an awesome that's an awesome thing to cover a team like that. And I've been blessed, right? You know, covering Alabama with Gene Stallings, um, you know, getting to know Paul Bryant Jr. there, Sean Alexander, guy got to know what covering Tennessee's '98 national championship run. Uh, some of the characters they had there, you know, the Casey Clausens and the Arian Fosters, super talented guys covering Michigan State, going to the Rose Bowl, their best four year run in history, um, you know, and then and then covering Georgia when they win their national title. I mean, I, I kind of feel like a little bit of a Forrest Gump here. Everywhere I go, I've seen some sort of history. Uh, some people think I'm a good luck charm. So just for all you uh, Mike haters out there and, and I, I earned that tag. Uh, I think I'm a good luck charm. So look at it like that. I'm a necessary evil, okay? I, take, I keep everybody honest. but uh, So that's my approach. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, but I try not to – I don't become a fan of the, the program I cover, but I respect the program I cover. I maintain good relationships. I'm straight up with people, and um, and, and people know what they're going to get from me, right? And that's just kind of how it is. So, um, yeah, that's how it is. Uh, the big portal pickup. Eric, I can't. It's a, it's a secret. I need to get a little bit more juice. I need to get just a little bit more juice behind it before I put it out there. But I, I mean, the, the name just, like I said, five-star guy, you know who it is. You've heard the name. Um, it would answer a question. It's exciting. Right? And that's Kirby. Doesn't Kirby always put an extra package under the Christmas tree for Georgia fans? Right. Remember when he got Pickens on, on signing day, when he flipped Pickens, right? Uh, from Auburn. Remember that? Wasn't that a cool surprise? Remember when JT Daniels fell out of the sky? Uh, a Wednesday, you know, I'm going to tell you, uh, Robbie, I'm going to defer to Jeff Centel and Centel's Intel. Um, you know, Jeff is our recruiting expert, and honestly, he follows it so much closer than I do, and, and as well as anybody. So, you know, I would I would just tell you to stay tuned or reach out to Jeff. Uh, Connor's on top of that stuff. I've been a little removed from the recruiting uh, this week being down here at the Senior Bowl. My mind is more geared into the NFL stuff. So I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing the players this week. Um, Going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So keep following. If you're not following me already on Twitter, I'm at Mike Griffith 32. Could really use some Twitter followers because all these other fan bases, they just keep coming after me. It's funny because there's Georgia fans that say I'm too critical. But then the other fan bases that say, you're just a big Georgia homer. And I guess it's just a matter of perspective or what headline you choose to read that day. Right. I've had people tell me, oh, you just hate on Jordan. I've had people tell me, boy, you just kiss Georgia's, you know what, you know, and it's like sometimes both. I mean, sometimes there's harsh commentary. Sometimes there's compliments. I'm the weatherman. Don't blame me for the weather. Some days I can give you a 70 degree forecast. But doggone it, when the freezing rain's coming, I'm going to tell you it's freezing rain. I can't I can't make sunshine out of clouds. I do my best, though. I do my best on Ingles on the beat on Monday night. So I want to thank all of you guys for joining me tonight. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've gone a little longer than normal. Uh, my producer, Michael Carvel, I'm, I'm keeping him up uh, late at night. Poor Michael. Uh, he's been run ragged all day, and now I've kept him up late tonight for our Ingles on the beat. But I miss you guys. It had been a couple weeks. So uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, I'll probably uh, I'll be on with BA for sure on Wednesday on Dog Nation Daily uh, tomorrow. If you're watching the SEC Network around four thirty or five thirty, uh, I'll be on Feinbaum. I have no idea what he's going to ask me. Um, it's unscripted. I have no idea where that conversation is going to go. It's just how it is with Feinbaum. I can tell people it's like going on an airplane ride. You, you you hope for a smooth flight, but sometimes it gets a little bumpy. You just 
you just never really know. So anyway, thanks guys. Have a wonderful week and I will be back and see you later this week on Dog Nation Daily and on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 and more stories for you.